More fallout from the Robert Sarver investigation by the NBA after the ESPN report. Katie Heindel of Dime Magazine and the Basketball Feelings Newsletter joins me to break it all down coming up on Locked on Suns. Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Clean, covering the Suns the past five seasons as a credentialed media member. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen every single morning. Plenty to come here as this Robert Sarver story continues to unfold. More statements, more media comments, more to dissect. Joining me to do that is Katie Heindel. She is a writer at Dime, and she is the writer of the Basketball Feelings newsletter. Katie, uh, let's just get right into it today. Um, there's not really a, a great way to set the stage, but what I wanted to, to start out with here is just there are so many A, anecdotes in this Baxter Holmes story that, that people are still sifting through. And as we were just going through before we hit record, so many different people speaking up about this. What What's sticking with you? What's on your mind relating to this Robert Sarver story? Uh, I think what's sticking with me and what you and I kind of touched on before we started recording. Well, first, thanks for having me. And uh, it's the way that we're going to now see fallout from different camps in in terms of who makes a statement and when and the strength and power, if there is any strength and power behind those statements now as they come out. I think certain people will watch to see who makes statements before they feel perhaps emboldened enough to make their own statements, which in itself is very telling, I think. So, you know, I, I, I want to touch on something you mentioned in your podcast yesterday, which was, you know, is it likely to expect that Sarver won't be present or won't kind of make a statement or the players, you know, like Suns players won't make a statement about this um, until, <laughs> until June, you know, and like what that kind of says about the team. But I feel like... Uh, I feel like men in Sarver's position of power and especially men that are used to the kind of spotlight and notoriety that he has have a real hard time, <laughs> have a real mm-hmm. hard time, like keeping quiet and like sticking to backstage. So I expect that you'll probably hear something sooner than later. Yeah, it, it's um, it's it's obviously interesting for sort of the drama of everything, right? Does this person make things worse for himself? Does he try to protect himself? But it's also, if you're, again, sort of taking seriously and thinking seriously about what's being alleged in the piece, it's bringing a person accused of creating a toxic workplace back into that workplace, right? And you start Mm -hmm. to get very quickly into this idea of when an investigation is playing out and the person who's being investigated is the absolute most powerful person in the situation, what can be done? And I I heard, um, I I think people should definitely listen to Baxter Holmes with Zach Lowe on his podcast, if you haven't, because they spend about 45 minutes really going sort of case by case through a lot of these things and what the fallout in terms of their reporting in the days since the publication of the piece has been. And they both agreed that the the general consensus is that similar to the to the Donald Sterling situation and, and others across sports, what really is going to push this forward, I would say the NWSL 
situation too. Maybe people aren't quite as familiar, but that that is something that that played out very similarly in terms of the players pushing this forward. And and to the thing you were saying that I was kind of wondering aloud about in the podcast the other day, it's they both Book and CP have have now said they're going to wait for the investigation to play out. Monty Williams said the same thing. Well, we don't know when that's going to happen. So I, I do want to kind of talk about that that gray area, that that zone that we're in right now, Katie, because you wrote a little bit about this in your newsletter this week talking about Steve Kerr. And I, I guess in, in some ways I want to be careful to not just have this be uh, an attack on Kerr specifically because I do think mm-hmm. we've also seen, whether it's locally, we have Larry Fitzgerald, who's a minority owner of this team, an NFL star, probably the most famous single sports figure in the Valley, talking about this as part of a statement and supporting Robert Sarver and kind of condemning the report in a way. We also have Steve Nash, who was around, who was asked about this. He's now the Brooklyn Nets coach. And he gave a very simple answer, but said, no, I, I did not see and I have no reason to believe that these these things happened. So it's not just Kerr, but it's these folks who ha- are kind of go out on a limb to stand up for somebody who's being uh, accused of pretty disgusting things. What, what does it make you think? How does it fall into a pattern? And, and where, do, where do these comments come from? Why do these people stand up so proudly in these moments, do you think? Yeah, it's funny because I actually, we don't have to make it all about Kerr because it's more of an archetype. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I was trying to touch on mostly is that, you know, Kerr, Kerr I mentioned specifically because Kerr has done this before with yeah. Luke Walton specifically and the sexual assault allegations that were leveled against Walton. Um, and now it's in a similar vein and similar tone to the Sarver uh, allegations. Granted, there are 70 <laughs> people. Yeah making these allegations collectively and Walton's was one and it was Walton's word against his accuser. And I believe they settled, Um, right? Just to clarify. Yeah. Yeah. They, they did settle, which, you know, also to further clarify, doesn't mean is no, like what people really hold that up. I think in terms of like justice was served, Yeah, (laughs) it's, it's black and white. It's not, Mm -hmm. uh, and it isn't. And I think these kinds of, investigations just further show that and perhaps how ill-equipped um, collectively we are in looking at these things, collectively the NBA is in looking at these things, but to the Steve Kerr point specifically, to, to men like Steve Nash, um, to, to men that are in positions where they are asked to comment on pretty nefarious things, people in positions of power that they know or once worked with or are close with um, are being accused of, and then when they come back and say, Uh, Like, I disagree with this, but only based on the character value that I've assigned this other person. You know, I think it's pretty insulting to all the other people that are making the accusations because it's basically just one guy's word against his friend. And of course, he's going to vouch for his friend. And it's also, I think, pretty easily refuted because in most cases, the examples that someone like her or Nash will give is that, you know, quote, I've never seen them behave this way. But like, you know, not to be glib, no shit, you haven't because none of like none of, especially with Sarver, where these are kind of his stuff seems to be a real manipulation of power and holding that power over people and making people as uncomfortable as possible to remind them that he's in a position of power at all times and he will wield that. He would not behave that way towards someone like Steve Kerr, especially Steve Kerr in terms of he's who 
brought him Sarver into the franchise in the first place. So there are certain roads of power you have to trace, I think, when you when you examine statements like the one Kerr made. And, and I also want to quibble a little bit with what you said of them going out on a limb, because actually I think, if anything, they're in an extremely comfortable position. I don't think they're actually ever putting themselves out mm-hmm. on a limb because when Kerr, and this is what I wrote about, when Kerr or Nash... I even think of like Neil O'Shea with the Chauncey Billups uh, accusations this past summer. When they make these kinds of statements and say, uh, like, I don't recognize the person who's being accused of this. They're kind of removing themselves first from actually agreeing or disagreeing. And they're also excusing themselves from anything ever reflecting, I think, poorly or badly back on them uh, because they're not saying yeah, my friend did a shitty thing or like, cause they're, they're not really aligning themselves whatsoever. It's extremely slippery language. And I think it allows them to stay in this really comfortable, somewhat padded position of power where they, you know, as long as they, I guess it's because as long as they get to exist there, they don't really want to make that difficult for themselves or the men who kind of, and I keep saying men because typically, especially within the NBA, it's just white billionaire male owners um, kind of exist and are aligned within that power structure with them. So again, it's like whatever they can do to kind of not rock the boat, say the least, basically, uh, without endangering themselves or the people in most cases that they're talking about. So again, I use Kerr as an example because to me personally, he is a really frustrating example because he has been extremely progressive about other things and extremely willing to speak on, you know, issues of social justice, gender politics, sometimes weirdly considering like the other, the Luke Walton stuff Mm -hmm. that we're talking about. But when it comes to these kinds of really concrete accusations, he's kind of like, I don't know, Mm -hmm. like I've never, it's like, it's very vague. Right. And that's, what's frustrating to me because you know, Steve Kerr in situations like this um, can be so direct. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and hasn't yeah. been shy about that before, but these are situations where he suddenly kind of becomes uh, a little bit uncharacteristically mute. Mm-hmm. No, and, and to echo what you're saying, I mean, I would kind of er- encourage people to look at of the stories where we know the status within the organization of the person that was the victim of what's being alleged. It's Earl Watson. A, the, a, a first-time head coach in his early 30s, a black Hispanic man trying to make his way. It's Taylor Griffin, the 15th man on the roster. It's a 25-year-old, uh, I, I don't know what his role was, but the staffer who, who Robert Sarver pantsed in public. It's these people mm-hmm. at the very bottom of the totem pole who, A, were, like you said, a victim of a sort of power grab moment that, that Sarver is whether it's we don't even need to talk about the intention of it but that's the target of a lot of these things and for them to be able to feel comfortable going on the record is a testament to their the amount that it affected them and the sort of bravery that they have compare that to the level and the relative risk of somebody like Steve Kerr going out and saying what he actually believes I don't know what he actually believes but saying more tr- something more truthful, something more evocative than what he did, which is to kind of act as if he has no clue, that wouldn't be very little risk for Steve Kerr. He's not going to get fired by the Golden State Warriors if he says, 
you know, I saw some troubling things. I wish I would have spoken up. I didn't know for sure what the right thing to do was. And I hope the NBA investigation can play out. I mean, that that's still not necessarily aggressive, but it's at least probably closer to what I would imagine the truth to be based on what people like Amin Al-Hassan, Raja Bell, some of these people who have spoken publicly because they're in media now um, have said, which is that these things are not surprising. We saw very similar things. We may not have seen something that, that got to the point of needing to be reported or um, talked about to somebody, but it, it's not a surprise to us. Whereas you compare that to what Kerr or Nash are saying, where it's like, well, how are the people in the same exact building having such a different memory of, of the time that they spent there? And maybe it's the fact that Amin and, and Raja are black men and, and, and that Steve and Steve are not. I don't know, but I guess you're just to echo what you're saying, looking closer at who is speaking, what they have to lose by speaking, and what they say is honestly what we're left with, I think, in many ways at this point. So uh, let's make our way through this a little bit more. I, I do want to kind of talk about the players and and the, the way that this is going to loom and, and maybe some other ways that this fits into a broader discussion, Katie. But first, I want to tell our listeners about Prize Picks. It's the perfect daily fantasy app. It's made easy for everybody and it's perfect for any daily NBA fanatic. We love it here at the Locked On Podcast Network because it makes things simple. You don't play against a pool. You don't play against an opponent. You pick two to five players. You bet against the spread and you win. Hopefully that is the deal. So they have picks for everything from points and rebounds to maybe some more sophisticated stuff like uh, total points, rebounds, and assists, or whatever. You got to sift through prize picks, see what they have, but that is what you're betting against. Let's say you go Kawhi, well, right, not maybe not right now, book over 20 and a half points that night. If he gets 21 points, you win that matchup. That is how it works. It's not, you know, day to, it's not head-to-head. It's not day-to-day stuff. It is one time only, and it is simple. So use the award-winning prize picks app on both the App Store and the Google Play Store. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less, and PrizePix is proud of their safe and fast withdrawal. So don't hesitate. Check out prizepix.com or that mobile app. Use the promo code NBA and enjoy. PrizePix daily fantasy made easy. Today's show is also brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login just for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment that you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports movies and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part is there is no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Okay, Katie, so let's let's pick up uh, back here on the point we were kind of initially on about the players. And um, it actually reminded me of something you and I were talking about in the playoffs. We were, I don't know if you remember, we were talking about Chris Paul. Like you wrote about after the Suns lost the finals, um, how much he's just lived in his career, um, mm-hmm. injuries, losing, um, aging and, and now worrying about, well, what will my legacy be? Will I, will I get over that hump and, and finally win? Not to mention 
the numerous situations he's faced off the court, whether it was the ESPYs moment with him and LeBron and those guys, or the Donald Sterling situation being president of the NBPA during a bubble and a mass global protest against racism and all of these things. And I think that is why people were so curious to see what Chris said on Thursday night. And it's not a game I was planning to cover in person. I obviously made my way down there because I was curious as well. And he chose to play things very close to the vest. So I wonder what you made of Chris. I, I don't know if you saw specific comments, but there wasn't really much said. He said, I'm, I'm going to wait things out here. What, what did you make of that? And, and not to put, again, pressure on him to be the one to sort of save this moment, but he's somebody people are going to continue to look to. Yeah, and I think this is one of those um, moments where I don't necessarily think it is at all relevant what um, Chris Paul, what Booker, um, Monty Williams more so just because he does straddle that line between, you know, he's part of the front office, but he's on the team side as well. Right. Like in terms of like basketball ops yeah. and the kind of like higher echelon that all of this is trickling down from. Um, I think we want to hear from players because sometimes they seem like the direct reaction and like the direct line of contact that we as media or even we as fans have. Um, in this situation, I'm more curious to hear what someone like Chris Paul would think personally, just given, as you mentioned, all the positions he's of leadership that he's been in. He's been through this, you know, he's been through this once before. Uh, he was head up of the MBPA. So I think just in terms of the way that he is now kind of used to being in that position and also like being the the speaker, right, for on behalf of a lot of people, yeah. I think he does kind of handle that weight a little bit more naturally than some other players. Um but it doesn't surprise me that he said he would wait. It doesn't surprise me. Um, I mean, Booker just kind of came out in favor. Who did Booker? Like, I, I'm forgetting. He, he spoke up on behalf of Earl Watson when, when right, Tim on, McMahon on of ESPN asked him, do you think he's credible? Yeah. Because all the statements from the team have, have said Earl is not a credible source mm -hmm. for the story. And Booker said he is. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, that's more worthwhile, right? Like, you know, like that, like that's something that Booker, if Booker feels comfortable speaking about that, you know, and about and like supporting someone who's made a difficult allegation and isn't necessarily in a position to gain much from it now. Uh, and as you mentioned before, has made this allegation because it probably represented a lot of psychic kind of pain uh, and strife like over the years that it got to the point where he just didn't feel like he could sit on it anymore. Then that's totally one thing. But I don't think in this it, it necessarily is going to really impact um what happened because again like Sarver's not there were allegations in that story of Sarver going after players but it would never be a player like Booker or Chris Paul yeah. you know like they are simply like they wield too much power and autonomy even Booker like in a in a relatively like younger career compared to Chris Paul um so they're not he he I think and I think Sarver knows that right like I think Sarver knows not to make them uncomfortable it's he's also existing in a completely different era of player autonomy with these two players than some of the players that were making allegations against him in the past mm -hmm. right um I'm the Monty I'm more curious to hear what Monty would say again because I think he had to have known you know like just like back channels and kind of He's he's in he's in the locker room. He's probably like heard some of these things before. Um, these are really insular, small spaces, which mm -hmm. like you and I know, just like being around a team, you get to understand how small 
of an ecosystem it is, mm-hmm. right? And people talk and things And even get the out NBA, and, right? I mean, Monty's been in the NBA yeah. for his whole life. Exactly. And if these things were in exactly. the grapevine, then you would think he, he would have heard about it. Whether he knew if it was true or mm-hmm. not, the rumor would have been there, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm always a little bit careful too, especially like, because in this story, like you want to hear from a coach like Monty Williams because of his character and like, as you mentioned, like the how how he's like been around the NBA Um, So he could perhaps offer a counterpoint to like what a coach like Steve Kerr is saying, but also at the same time when a lot of these allegations are being leveled by black people against the way that Sarver treated them, I don't necessarily think that that's a fair weight to put on Monty, you know what I mean? To like speak on behalf of like what that kind of means to him, because also I think there's such a thing as, you know, people need time to process news like this. And I think, you know, perhaps Monty's just thinking of like, well, what's the future like ownership situation of this organization not that his yeah. job is in jeopardy but like that stuff is all going to be pretty impactful mm-hmm. uh, on what he's doing it also doesn't surprise me because you know i think he probably wants the team to focus on playing basketball yeah. <laughs> as much as they possibly can right mm-hmm. now so i i think all of that kind of that stuff factors into what we have or haven't really heard from those guys yeah they know their weight their words carry weight i mean what i was just saying about the reporting that you know, seems to be coalescing around everybody's on, you know, on their edge of their seats to, to see what these guys say. They know that. And they know that mm-hmm. saying something out of turn or without all of the, the facts or knowledge or, or even, like you said, the time to just clarify their perspective on this, mm-hmm. it, it could really carry a lot of weight. And, and if all of a sudden Chris were to say something incredibly damning or say, uh, you know, I, I think this outcome should happen, that things move very quickly forward from there, right? And so mm-hmm. I don't think I was surprised per se either. Um, and especially, you know, just because it's been compared so often to the Sterling situation and the throwing of the practice jerseys into the center of the court. And they were saying that, you know, they've said since that they were potentially going to not play that playoff game and they decided to mm-hmm. do so. That all hap- that all was happening in the background, right? We know it now because it's been several years and there's been documentaries and podcast series and, and tons of stories told about it and half the people are in the media now that were part of that situation. But we didn't know it at the time in the same way. So I guess I would say these things maybe are for sure being talked about behind closed doors and potentially, you know, these things are being clarified and and put into maybe action or more clear stances and, and voices than than they have been. It is very very early on. Um, let's let's keep this thread though, because I, I kind of want to hear from you about where maybe in a vacuum this should go versus where it is going. And I I just can't get my head away from the way in which the the team is trying to use this sort of it's part of a narrative, a false narrative idea. I can't get that out of my head because I think it's it's just very... Um, it's stupid. It's stu- sure, it's stupid. It's <laughs> yeah. stupid. So let's, 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 uh, let's get there after a quick break. First, though, a word from Bilt Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the planet. Bilt Bar is celebrating Thanksgiving this year, guys. We all love Thanksgiving here. Good food, treats, um, but maybe... You don't want to partake in the dessert, and maybe you don't want to partake in, like, what, cranberry sauce or sweet potato, some of these things that are packed with sugar, maybe not the best for you. Maybe you're more of a lean turkey and green beans, and then maybe a Bill Park, or maybe the Bill Park can be what you get through 
the days where you're not splurging with during the holidays. We don't like to uh, get out of control and, and maybe gain some weight. Maybe you're fine with gaining weight. I don't know. But Built Bar is there to fill in the gaps all holiday season long. Low calorie, low carb, low fat, and high protein covered in 100% real chocolate. Built is a great option for when you're hungry. If Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving isn't coming soon enough, maybe go for a Built Bar or two to get you there. Maybe um, maybe you get a little tired of the leftovers. Maybe your family is one that goes a little overboard and you want something else to get you through the day. Built Bar is there for that as well. They'll also have new surprises all month. Limited time flavors arriving at Built.com regularly. So check the site often. I believe right now they still have a little bit of the pumpkin puff. They have, or they did have last year, a ton of white chocolate options around the holiday or once it gets closer to winter. So definitely be checking back, definitely be filling your orders. And there's nothing like a Built Bar Black Friday. So mark your calendar. Black Friday will be a huge event at Built.com with all sorts of surprises. Again, that's Built.com. You're going to use the promo code LOCKED15 when you make your first or next order using a to get 15% off. Again, that's using the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Okay, Katie, so right heading into the break, you finished my sentence, and I appreciate it because you were right. Um, it, it, it's a dumb way to be framing this. I think it's dumb to call or to call out Earl Watson directly as a, as a not credible source. I think it's dumb on the Sun's part to categorically deny things that multiple people have said are true. If an NBA investigation plays out, you would imagine that many of the same people that Baxter Holmes spoke with would speak to the NBA. And they would be able to verify that these things happen. And if you start to mount up the number of people that Baxter says said these things, it's incredibly hard to, even if it is he sh- he said, he said, or whatever it might be, there's a lot of a lot more he's on one side of this thing than there are on the other. And to, to say that it doesn't fit into a narrative to me, I mean, it's, it's the same thing we hear on the internet every single day by celebrities every single day. I mean, it's Robert Sarver using the cancel culture card, right? It's, it's him saying that to be held accountable for things that I did that happen to be similar to things that other people are, have been accused of doing is somehow wrong innately because it happens to be a pattern that the media has been able to uncover. I don't get why you would frame it that way. And it comes across as, I mean, far be it for me to care about his legal strategy and a potential investigation. It doesn't seem like it's going to hold up, but it also just seems um, like a peculiar way to sort of uphold your own image and the image of the franchise you own. Yeah, and I also think it's fairly indicative of how imperfect these investigations are and can be, but like by nature, they kind of have to be. And I think a lot of the parties involved are pretty uncomfortable with things getting uncomfortable and messy because it's new territory, right? So this idea of like trying to park all these allegations in some distant past where they shed relevancy because maybe they weren't brought up at the time, but then you have to look at like the catalyst for why they were brought up now. There's a reason, right? Where you have like this wellspring of voices kind of coming to a head because there's momentum now, like in the time that we live in. That's just yeah. the fact, right? So I think it is interesting um, to, to try and like frame this around a narrative thing because to me that's like, yeah, that's like that's the reason why this is happening now. That's not like that doesn't discredit it at all. But you like the kind of the situation, especially in situations like this where most allegations I mean, I'm just speaking in terms of like, you know, let's talk about like assault allegations or things like that. I think about like the women in the story, right? Like, 
are so reluctant to come forward and like what was so heartbreaking, but not at all surprising in that story was one of the comments about, you know, when you get into this kind of line of work, there's a certain expectation that you steal yourself for these kinds of things to happen. Mm. I've been there before. Yes, that is a true and really depressing reality, you know, or like some of the other allegations where, again, like we talked about earlier, what do these women or anyone in this story really stand to gain? Nothing. Um, but I think there's like, there's power, there's power in like the number of voices that are in this story, which is again, why I think it's completely stupid and really irrelevant to say that, oh, you know, this is a, this is, this is over like such a long stretch of time that, that they're, that Baxter Holmes is trying to like fit these voices into a narrative that he's kind of like writing backwards where it's like, this is just what reporting is, right? Like you find a first thread, you follow it, it takes you to another one, and like so on and so on and so on. Like these things don't exist in a vacuum. And I think that's why like, you know, men like Sarver have probably gotten away with these kinds of things for so long because they create power vacuums, right? Like they create spaces where they're the only ones, maybe they've got a handful of other guys who agree with them, in these kind of upper echelon rooms where these decisions get made and they're, they're working very hard to keep a lot of other people out of those spaces. So the narrative stuff, like I don't really like in general how narrative has become a bad word, yeah. right? In like sports media, because I think it's very, it's like a very, very generalized and oversimplified way at looking at what usually are very complicated problems. No, you're totally right. Sorry, my dog is uh, looking like he's about to bark. I'm <laughs> trying to avoid the crisis, but I think you're totally right. I mean, I, I would... The, the thing that I think about in listening to you and, and thinking about it myself is even in the day or two, we're talking on Saturday for everybody listening, we have already seen another investigation be launched in the NBA against Neil Olshay. Mm-hmm. That came down mm-hmm. on fr- late Friday night by Sham Sharani of The Athletic for, as of now, very vague allegations, but similar in tone, toxic workplace, you know, things like that. So this narrative is not fake. It is very demonstrably true. And yeah. you can look at John Gruden. And it was that was something that I was thinking of when, when we were talking in the last segment about sort of the response and or, or Steve Kerr, people like this. You saw with that situation, uh, a guy like Tony Dungy go on national TV, a former colleague of his, uh, a black man, and that got a lot of attention because of his race. But most importantly, a colleague of his stand up and say, you know, this doesn't fit the character and everything else. And yet John Gruden gets fired because there's evidence that these things happened. And so it just feels like this pattern continues to play out of, allegation, denial, somebody comes to stand up for you, it plays out that you actually did these things and then you get uh, you get held accountable for it. It feels like we're headed towards some version of that with this, but I would also say in terms of the sort of context that we're talking about too and this idea of working backwards, or I'm sure there's some fans feeling because of the way that I'm sure they're feeling let down by the fact that as a fan, they were able to root for this incredible moment this summer. And then they are right back to this. And and I talked about that a little bit on my show. That's kind of how I titled the episode is like this team, as long as Sarver is around, can't get away from it. It is the culture of the team. 
And I would say within that, there's probably a level within the, the voices of the people who spoke out for this story of seeing that success and feeling like they want to, like that probably made them feel like they should go talk more often. We hear a lot of victims talk about mm-hmm. that, where it's like these people who are being championed and are on getting exposure and getting celebrated, it makes them feel disgusting inside that this person who they know to be much worse than the content of the character being broadcast to millions is being broadcast that way. And, and that inspires them to maybe share a story that they might not have otherwise. I'm not speaking for everybody who who was a source for, for Baxter, but we do hear that as a pattern within this as well. If we're talking about this narrative, that's part of how it comes about why, you know, successful people are brought down. If we want to use the language that, that is deployed by them, it, it, it just frustrates me to hear it, hear it framed that way. And it, it was disappointing that even people aside from Sarver glommed on to the same type of language in their defense of him and attacking Baxter Holmes and Earl Watson. It just, A, doesn't come across as as innocence when you deny something in that way, but it also is just, it's grotesque. Um, what, what else is, as we close down here, what else is sticking out to you and maybe something we haven't talked about? There's just, there's so many layers to this thing. I don't want to leave anything out if it's on your mind. Yeah, I think something that's very interesting to me within this is what people consider the metrics of success to be. Like in the case of Sarver, he's a billionaire, so you're obviously equating monetary value and worth with his, you know, success and like his it's okay. I have two dogs too and they're being very chill now for some reason. They usually aren't. Um <laughs> But yeah, like this idea that, you know, oh he's a billionaire. And I think that's what threatens and makes nervous a lot of people that, you know, are coming out to defend them because they think like, oh, if this guy who's like so ensconced with his like wealth and privilege can be targeted, like maybe I could be targeted for the exact same things too. I mean, that's just like, yeah, that's the domino effect. And I don't have any qualms with that. I think like that's a, that's, that's something that was bound to happen and has been like a a due reckoning for some time. Right. You know, and like, it's going to keep happening. But I also think that like, to touch on something uh, I read in Kelly Dwyer's newsletter today, um, which phenomenal NBA writer, if you don't follow him, like you can find him on Substack, the second arrangement, but Kelly made like a very simple, but true point, which is like, just get another billionaire in there. Like they're not difficult to find, you know, most of them have like same personality traits and like uh, values that Sarver does. But you can probably find one that's like slightly less shitty, perhaps, to fill that void. Um, Anyway, and I did want to say that I think a silver lining to the point you made about equating. Yes, I agree with you. I think the success that the team had probably did drive a lot of people to want to speak out because. But but to me, that says more about the fact that you have people that are really involved in it now and don't want to walk away. They want to stay there. They want to stay as involved. They want to see the team get back to kind of that up the upper reaches that it reached last season, but they're working to change the culture Mm -hmm. internally. Then they actually care. I think that says more than if you had like these 70 people, some of which have walked away because they were like, this wasn't a healthy environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I felt like extremely threatened and depressed to be there but some people refuse to walk away and instead are speaking out about it because they want to try and enact change Mm -hmm. you know i think that's a very good and positive silver lining that like shouldn't be diminished in all of this because again i think there's this sense when it's like 
again, you made it, it was very funny, but it's like mostly in the story, he said, he said, but like, if you want to say the power imbalance of like the smaller few to like this one larger figure, everybody, sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> you're totally, everyone, you're totally good. No, I think everybody. So I was just going to say, yeah, every like that these people speaking out and wanting to change and maybe oust him doesn't say anything about them wanting to like tarnish or take away from what the team has achieved or what yeah. they has achieved, have achieved. I think it's just this sense of like, well, we want to keep achieving things, but we don't want it to we don't want to do it under the yoke of somebody who seems to be holding every everything over us, because then those people aren't really in positions to thrive or just like do the same good work they kind of want to do. And I think like, you know, the, the Olshay, um, story that you mentioned, it's not a surprise. And like the Sarver thing, like, I don't know, I, I very surprised by people that are surprised when it comes, when these kinds of stories come out against like about whether they're, you know, billionaire owners, uh, or again, people in these kinds of positions being either just like outright hideous and terrible or just like not good people. Like that is not surprising to yeah. me because most of these people have had to live without, have gotten to live without consequence for such a long time in their lives that that is the way that they navigate the world. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time you're maybe seeing consequence come down on them. And I think their reactions to that consequence of being uncomfortable for maybe like a minute in the grand scheme of things is very indicative, is very, very indicative to me. And like more support behind the voices that are coming out and saying these people did these things. Because yeah. if you were able to kind of reconcile and reckon with the terrible things that you've done, you'd be a little bit kind of cowed by them or maybe a little bit embarrassed. But like mm -hmm. Sarver does not seem embarrassed to me. He seems like someone who's used to denying things outright and being used to that being like all he needs to say for problems to go away. And I think Suns fans are finding hope in this John Najafi character. He's somebody who's partnered with Colin Kaepernick. He's invested. He. He set aside his own money to invest in some of the league's efforts with anti-racism last year. I don't know really who this gentleman is. I don't know if he would be a better owner. I have no reason to think he would do the things that Robert Sarver is alleged of. But I think you're right to, again, say that these people fit this pattern that we're talking about for a reason as well. And it's that lack of accountability. But I would also you know, we get very quickly to like larger cultural conversations because this is happening mm -hmm. in so many fields. But the idea of somebody, what accountability even looks like for those people. There's a version of this that ends with Robert Sarver selling the team willingly, making billions of dollars off of doing so and getting to continue to run his bank, getting to continue to have his various forms of wealth Nothing will go away. This is not a person who will, mm -hmm. you know, have sponsorship deals cut or some of the other ways that maybe an athlete might lose forms of income. He can't be cut from owning the team. I mean, maybe their way down the line could be a, an ouster. I, I doubt we're anywhere close to that. So accountability in this case is to make a bunch of money and maybe get your name tarnished a little bit and then move on with your life. The, account or the, the negative outcome for the people who spoke up was uh, in some cases, suicidal thoughts, in, in some mm -hmm. cases, permanent trauma, loss of a job, maybe you left the profession, maybe you weren't able to find another job because you left your previous one unceremoniously. And those are people who make far less money than Robert Sarver, have far less comfortable lives. And in a lot of, in a lot of cases are already 
in society, people who are marginalized for other reasons. So it, I don't, not that I think many people listening to this are going to be sort of sad for Sarver, but when you hear him speak about the, the way that he's being harmed by any of this, I think we should just keep in mind what that harm even looks like and the, I guess, take it with a grain of salt. But um, we do have to wrap up. The story's not going anywhere. I hope we can have Katie back on. Thank you for joining us. You can read her at her newsletter, Basketball Feelings. You can listen to her at uh, Dishes and Dimes, the podcast, uh, Basketball, the podcast, and read her as well at Dime Up Rocks. Katie, thank you for joining me.